All right, you're stuck with me again today. Uh, Justin is out of, Pastor Justin's out of town as he is uh, going ahead and getting certified to sell Amway. Um, when, so when uh, he gets back, don't sign up for anything. You'll be trapped. He may be selling like calling cards or something like that. I'm not, he's trying to supplement his income. Mary Kay didn't work out for him, so he decided to go a different route. So you're stuck with me again. Though uh, I do have a little bit of, uh, um, I was going to print out my notes this morning, and we were out of paper, honey. We need more copy paper, by the way. But I did find paper left over from Ivy's birthday party that had, had little crowns on the back of it. So if you see that flash across the screen, it's for your entertainment purposes. Really for Nick's, because I know he's into Prince's crowns. And so I know, I, know, I, I know how to hold your attention, young man. I got you figured out. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, is where we're going to study at this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. <clears throat> Last week we were in Philippians chapter 3, and I was uh, telling Angela I broke out my laptop on this one. And uh, I mentioned this last week. There will be no more embarrassing pictures of me, by the way. That was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So if you weren't here last week, you can always go back onto the Internet and watch it because it's there forever now. Oh, okay. There we go. I'm going to need that jump drive back. All right, so... Oh my gosh. Do you know how we did? That's one of those haircuts you say, just make me look like I just got recruited. That's what you do. You're just like, skin it off. The shorter the hair, the holier you are. You know, that's the way it works. My, the, I just like how I was holding the Bible, too. What the? Do I? <laughs> oh man, I thought that was such hot stuff back in the day, too, man. That's hilarious. Oh man. I feel like I would have even given, that's a young Kenneth Copeland right there. You say, I'm going to give him a run for his money. Got the gold ring on and everything. Can you see the gold ring? Like, Andrew, if you're such fancy pants up there with the picture, can you zoom in on the gold ring? <laughs> oh, they Oh, I see. I got this. I got you. That's right. Hey, uh, I looked up your guys' property on Google. I know exactly where you live now. So... <laughs> We better get in the Bible. First Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, last week we, uh, we talked about uh, the goal somewhat of the Christian life. I guess we could put it that way. Uh, and as I was looking back through some of my messages, this one actually caught my attention, or at least the bare bones of it did. I went back and revised it. <clears throat> I, I enjoy First Corinthians. I enjoyed the opening statement of First Corinthians only because I know, mostly I guess I should say, because I, we know everything Paul says to the Corinthians after that. Because the way he opens the book seems a little disjointed from the things that he is correcting in the rest of the book. Uh, and you would think that he would start it off like, all right, I'm a little disappointed in you guys kind of a thing. And he'd kind of give them the rundown. Because by the time you, you, know, you hit 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he just starts stringing out this big laundry list of things that are doing. Matter of fact, he gets into it to the point, he says, you guys are doing things that even the other people in Corinth that aren't even Christians are looking at you, and they're like, what's going on over there? You know, it, was, it got kind of sketchy there for a minute. And, uh, you know, our tendency is, and let me back that up, my tendency probably is, I know yours probably not, much more gracious than mine probably would be, but uh, I have the tendency when I see an issue going on, you know, to kind of, you know, maybe handle it a little bit too harshly at times, um, 
I, you don't do that, I know. When you and your wife get in a discussion, you guys probably start uh, with prayer. Uh, you guys then take the Lord's Supper. You then move into a very systematic, detailed list of grievances in which you openly accept the suggestions of how your personality is an absolute train wreck and needs to change. You then accept that, make the changes in the moment, real time, and you are the person you are today because of such. And then, of course, you end in prayer. Exactly. (laughs) So you would think that Paul come out of the gate swinging because of everything that was going on with the Corinthians, but he doesn't. Uh, he, He addresses... He reminds them about what's actually going, what, what is actually true about them so he can help them understand what's not true about them. Uh, we do that backwards a lot of the times, you know. So I'm, I'm going to start reading uh, in verse number 4, but we're only going to look at verse number 9. Uh, but I want to kind of give it a, somewhat of a context. Um, you know, some of the best sermons you'll ever hear come from verses completely out of context. They're the best. You know, you leave it up to the Bible to ruin a good sermon, you know. So hopefully we're not going to do that. But let's look at uh, verse number four of <clears throat> chapter one. He said, I thank my God concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and knowledge. And that was true about the Corinthian church. They were very uh, spiritually gifted. And uh, I mean, we could use the word talented if you want to, but they were a very spiritually gifted church. Uh, they, they exercised a lot of spiritual gifts in ways that we don't really see in other churches in the New Testament. I'm not saying it wasn't there. We're just saying Paul didn't mention it at the very minimum. He goes on in verse 6, and he says, Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. So what is he saying? He's saying, I know you guys are saved. He's saying, I know you're Christians because the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. We get it. And he goes on and says, So that you have come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you've read the rest of the book of Corinthians, it doesn't sound like that's what was happening. But Paul's addressing what's actually true about them. He goes on and he says in verse 8, Who will also confirm you to the end. Again, these guys were being a bunch of knuckleheads. And Paul is saying, listen, I know that Christ is going to stay committed to you until the end. This is another verse, and I probably bring this up more than I should. Maybe it's a hobby horse of mine, but blessed are the people that hear it repeatedly and still gain uh, a blessing from it. Uh, that's, this is one of, another maybe obscure verse as to why I don't believe a person can lose their salvation because it's God that confirms to the end, not the individual that confirms themselves to the end. Um, and this, he's going to relate that even more in verse, uh, verse number 9 where he says this. And he's, he's, he's kind of summing up a thought, an introductory thought. And he says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This morning I want to talk to you about what it means to be in the fellowship or in fellowship or the theology of the word in. And I'm not going to talk about that preposition forever, all right? Um, I'm not going to bore you with those details, but it carries a lot of significant weight, particularly what Paul is saying here. Uh, you know, when I was, I was reading this, it came to my mind, the thought came to my mind about my probably the time of my life, about 7th, 8th, ninth grade. Is there more and more awkward time to be alive when you are in the 7th, 8th, or ninth grade? I mean, things are changing left and right. You don't know what's going on. You are acutely aware of everybody else changing as well. 
Uh, you know, and what do we do? You, you gravitate to the people that are handling their change the same way that you're trying to handle your change. You know what I mean? And uh, that's where the clicks in high school came from. I went to Pumbershaw High School just right over here on the other side of town. And uh, I can remember there was like literally even things were like unofficially zoned off at, at Theodore. You know, you have the, the air like there was a, there's a big concrete amphitheater at Theodore High School if you've never been there. And it's got a stage down there. So at the top of the amphitheater, Ben, you remember this. At the top of the amphitheater, uh, this, uh, that's where we kind of hung out, you know. That's where, our, where our, we were trying to deal with our own awkwardness group together hung out. You know, it involved flannel shirts and, you know, skateboard shoes and, you know, maybe an odd chain hanging off your clothes here or there. Uh, you know, the headbanger goth slash skateboard people. And then you had the jock people. Then you had the preppy people. This was pre-popped collar. They were there. Uh, you know, you had all these different people. And all the kids, they just gravitated to their areas. And you dare not cross your area. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter that you were at the same age. Your family probably made the same money for the most part. You've probably had, for the most part, the same life experiences. You did not invade the, fe- the, the jock did not invade the fellowship of the skateboarders. All right, it did not happen. The skateboarders did not invade the fellowship, uh, you know, of the preppies. We just didn't do it. And the point, the, re- the point that I'm making is this, is that we all have an innate desire to find someone or, or a group of people to connect ourselves to. Right? And we, in that group, we tend to find an identity, don't we? That's why clothes are such a big deal. Clothes are a huge deal. I just went to the mall the other day. You're supposed to go, aw, because what man wants to be there, right? But we went to the mall uh, just yesterday, and I'm standing in the store, like leaning up against the door, because, you know, I could not take it in Bath and Body Works. I just don't understand how people work there. I told Angela, I was like, you, like you walk into just this wall of fragrance. It's not any one smell. It's just this mat. Anyways, so I'm standing as close to the fresh air as I can, <clears throat> and you just, I'm holding a candle too, so I was like, it was great. So I'm holding this candle uh, that I got for my daughter's birthday, and uh, I'm just looking out in the mall, and it's interesting to see how everybody's walking. The, the ladies were different than the guys, but not completely different in the sense that there were a lot of guys there, you could tell they just like rolled out of their bed and landed at a pile of clothes and they went to the mall, you know. Uh, they weren't all that way. They weren't all that way. The, I could tell a lot of the guys that were dressed up, they were very impressed. They were always looking at their clothes as they walked. It's weird. I don't, maybe I'm being judgy. I don't know. I was just sitting back and look. It's not my fault. I was at the mall. I was in a very emotionally difficult place. <laughs> and, you know, even there you could tell just by the way people carry themselves who they're looking to connect with. You see, and the Corinthians, really, that was the problem that they had. They were seeking to make some connections outside of Christ, and so their behaviors begin to go off off the rails. And Paul, when he starts this book, he immediately jumps into telling them, wait a minute, you've been called into the fellowship, the one that matters, the one that every, whether a person is saved or lost, The one fellowship that connects them with their humanity is having fellowship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if they're in the peninsula of, wait, is Panama a peninsula? I almost said that wrong. 
It doesn't matter if they're in Panama or if they're in the Middle East or if they're in Russia or if they're in Mobile, Alabama. If they want connection with who they've been created to be, that connection is only found in Jesus Christ. That's it. And it's not simply an emotional connection. It's an identifying connection we have with who we are as human beings. Mankind was created to connect and to fellowship not only with God, but with each other based on who Christ is. And so Paul's pointing this out to them. You know, we, we, uh, we often point out that Christianity is fellowship with God. It's not an organized attempt to get to God. That's what often when... I, the word religion is often used as kind of, you know, like religion... <laughs> You know, <laughs> we use it that way. And it can be used in a very negative content. Uh, the, the base word of religion means a binding up or a binding together. Now, if we use religion in the sense to get to God, we're binding ourselves down. But if we understand religion to be the sense that in our fellowship with God, we are bound to him, it's not a negative word. It's all the context that we give it. The word fellowship uh, used here means to have a common partnership with. Now, I think that's important for us to take into consideration because what Paul's telling the Corinthians here, he's saying despite your behavior, and their behavior mattered, and he addressed their behavior. Before he ever did that, he said, you have a common partnership with Christ. Now, that doesn't really seem to match when we look at them. You might hear that and think to yourself, well, that doesn't always match with me, or at least I don't feel like it always matches with me. And you can put the word feel in front of anything nowadays, and it is validated. I feel like I, and you put in the blank, and literally, if you were to even resist the way somebody feels about something nowadays, you can literally lose your job. You can be ostracized. I don't know what the word is that they do. It, what is that? Cancel. You get canceled. Yeah, there's the one. What is the word? Uh, help me out, Lydia. I know you've got to know this word. I'm about to explain it. <laughs> it's the word they, like, you do something online and they go and hunt you down and find you. What is that? What's it called? Canceling? Oh, okay, there's some other word for it. Catfish? No. <laughs> no, 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 James, catfish is a completely different thing. <laughs> Anyways, there's this on, these trends where, like, if you do something online, they'll come to your house and they'll post, like, your, what? Doxing, that's it, doxing. I don't know why it's called that. Uh, and I don't, at this point, I don't even know where I was going with this. But uh, <laughs> nonetheless, uh, when we think about this idea of fellowship, we have in common, in partnership with God, oh, the feeling thing, right. And regardless of how we feel about our partnership, my feelings go up and down about my partnership with Christ constantly. I can have a bad day at work, and I don't feel like I'm in partnership with anybody, all right? I can get in a disagreement with my wife, and uh, we don't ever, but I'm, this is hypothetical. But, uh, you know, and feel a certain way about our relationship at times. She probably doesn't because, you know, she's a better person than me. That's where you're supposed to say, aw, give me some points. Golly, you guys are terrible at this. All right. I'll just hold them up, you know. Look, when I show you the princess you know, crowns, you say, aw, there we go. I'll just trick you into it, you know. All right, so let's talk about a couple of things here real quick. Number one, I want to talk about how Christ instigates 
fellowship with him, okay? He says this in verse number nine. Now, listen, I'm not a Calvinist, nor am I the son of a Calvinist, so don't get scared just because I use that word, okay? Chapter one, verse number nine, he says this, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship. Andrew mentioned this uh, a little bit in his prayer uh, this morning. Uh, and it do us good to meditate on this idea that, it, that fellowship is God's idea. He, that, was, that was his plan. You see, because in eternity past, it wasn't like God and his, his Trinitarian being was in relationship with the Father, Son, and the Spirit in eternity past or anything ever existed. And he woke up one morning, if he did wake up, I don't know, and looked around and said, man, this stinks. He didn't think that. Have you ever thought to yourself, why did God even create man? Have you ever thought that before? I mean, I know that I have. Uh, I'm, if you know why, please explain it to me later. No, I'm kidding. I, my theory is, and a common theory that I stole from somebody else is, is the fact that true love can't be contained to itself. True love always wants to give itself to someone else. And so God in his being created someone in which he could show love to for their benefit. He didn't have to do that. It was his idea. And so in eternity past, we see that God initiated this idea of fellowship. And, and here's, an, here, here's a thought that came to me years ago about this idea of fellowship, and it's this. That God is more committed to the Christian than the Christian could ever possibly be committed to God. Now, that's something we really need to grab hold on, and this is the reason why. If we're not careful in churchianity, the message of Christianity turns into your commitment to Christ, first and foremost. And I understand the, the essence behind it. I used to think that way as well. I'd say to myself, well, if I can motivate people to make God promises about what they're going to do with their life to Him, their lives will be better. The intention isn't bad. The result is all, uh, many times very heavy to carry. Because what we do is we, the desire that we have within us is limited by the flesh that we carry with us. And so we make these promises to God that I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and uh, sometimes we pull them off for quite some time. They often never stick when we approach our relationship with God that's based on I'm promising Him that I'm going to do something. We're responding to His promises He's not responding to our promises. That's what the fellowship is about. Uh, Christianity calls for you, uh, Christian, churchianity, excuse me, calls for you to make promises to God. Christianity is you living from the promises that God has made to you. They are more effective that way. Our lives are more directly affected on that approach. Because the commitment then, we're living in a commitment that he's made to us. That's, what, that's why the Bible's filled with covenants. That's why uh, when we talk about New Testament Christianity, we talk about it in the sense of a testament or a covenant. God has made a covenant with me. And uh, if you're familiar with Abraham, you know the fact that when God made the covenant with Abraham that he'd raise up a great nation to him, Abraham had nothing to do with that covenant. Abraham fell into a deep sleep and God took the animals and split them in two. And then God, as a, in a fiery furnace, walked through the midst of those pieces, making the covenant with himself, saying that if I don't keep this covenant, I will die. And interestingly enough, he did both. You know, 
He, Jesus, Jesus kept the covenant and then died like he didn't. That's what Abraham was illustrating to us in that moment. That's what it took to bring us into fellowship. The original, the original fellowship that God has called us into is based on God's faithfulness. Now, it, it, it's, it's, very, it, it's not by coincidence that many of these concepts that we believe about in, uh, in Christianity can be, can be linked back to Genesis chapter 3. There are many of them there. And in that original fellowship that Adam and Eve were in, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25, it gives a very interesting um, scenario to us to help us understand what fellowship is like. Because we think to ourselves that fellowship with God is like fellowship with anybody else that I might run into, and that's not necessarily 100% true. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 25, after God had created Adam and Eve in his image, he said, it says this about them, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Well, that's interesting. They lived in a completely open state, and they also lived without any shame. I don't, we may have moments of that, it seems like, in life, but that's how they existed, completely open, vulnerable in every way, and they lived with no shame. This was the extent of the original fellowship that Adam and Eve had with God. Uh, they had no shame because there was nothing for them to be ashamed about. There we go. Good job. I like that. That's your cue card. Genesis chapter 3, we know the story. The serpent comes in and he tempts Eve and says you can be as God. And let's, get, get a, let's, let's erase a, a picture out of our mind about that moment in history. It wasn't like Eve was on her way to Walmart and she just happened to walk by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the serpent showed up and said, hey, psst, over here. That's not how that worked, all right? The text tells us as we read it a little bit more slowly that Adam was there with her. He was right there. He didn't have anywhere to hang out. If she was going to Walmart, he was going to Walmart too, all right? Now he didn't have, where, where else was he going to go, you know? So they were, they were good. You know how, if you're... <laughs> oh, gosh. And so it's not like Adam was like... Thanks a lot. It's not like Adam was completely detached from that scenario. He was right there, you know. And he comes to Eve, and this is... A, I'm going to try not to go off on a tangent here. I cannot make any promises, all right? But I find it very interesting that Satan didn't go to the man. He went to the woman. And this is why. He went to the most valuable thing he could go to in that garden. And he went to the woman. And uh, if there's one thing, and I, this is something that's been on my mind. I've talked to Angela about it too, over and over again. If there is one gender that is under attack across the world, it's women. And the other group would be children. Those are the two things that are under attack. And the, the wicked one has always went after women and children, hasn't he? When, when Jesus was born, what did Herod do? He killed all the babies two years old and under, didn't he? All the false religions we see in the Old Testament, when they made a sacrifice, what did they sacrifice? Children, you know? The, the most commonly enslaved person in, a, in, an, in an environment like that is a woman. And so we see here the Satan, Satan, the wicked one, coming after the female, after the woman, not because 
They are less than because they have a value that he knows can shape the entire outcome of a family, of a, of a society, of a church, of the whole nine yards. Not to say men are not important. I hope you get what I'm saying here. I got more to say about that in a little bit. <laughs> Hopefully, if we get to it. And so in Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going to have to look at it because I didn't uh, put this down, but in Genesis chapter 3, it's in verse number 7. This is right after they, uh, they took the, Eve took the fruit. It says, The eyes of both of them were open, and, that they, and they knew that they were naked. There was, they, they, there was an epiphany that came about, and it wasn't a good one. Suddenly they looked around, and for the first time in their existence, you know what they thought? Something's wrong with me. You, we don't know how long they were in the garden. It could have been hundreds of years, could have been thousands. We don't really know. But for the first time in their existence, they became self-conscious. And we live in a world that is decimated by people that are obsessed with being self-conscious. And I'm not saying it to insult them. I'm saying it as it's a hindrance. It's hurting them. This hurts me. It hurts you when we, we operate in that scenario. It's hard not to be, isn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. It is. It says, and they knew that they were naked. And you know what? The first thing, they, this is interesting. I jotted this down as I was reading it over this morning. And it says, and they sewed fig leaves together. Why fig leaves? I don't know. Have you ever touched a fig leaf? It's not the softest thing in the world. <laughs> But I guess if you've never wore clothes again before, you don't know. You start sewing stuff together. And how did they know how to sew? Anyways, <laughs> off topic. They, they, <laughs> they give sewing classes there? But, uh, so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves a covering. You know, I think the King James said an apron or something like that. And the first word I thought of when I read that in verse 7 was, is they made a barrier between them and the other person was the first thing they did. There, who else were they covering themselves up from at that moment? Just Adam was covering himself from Eve. Eve was covering herself from Adam. And then it goes on to say this. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord and among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called to Adam, and there we see the commitment of God's fellowship. God, it comes down just as he always did. And he calls to them, knowing exactly what's happened. See, because fellowship's God's idea. The commitment of fellowship is God's idea. Religion has made it your idea. And it's not. And it's not my idea. Uh, churchianity has defined it for you when Christ has defined it for us. And so he comes down into the cool of the garden, and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees. And then the Lord God... Uh, called Adam and said, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Understand that these were emotions that were completely foreign to Adam. He had never had them before. He had never had to deal with feeling ashamed or afraid or to live with the idea that he has to hide himself or create a barrier between him and the, ones that, the one that's closest to him as another human. You see, because the reason why I'm bringing all this up is to show, to give us the idea of what real fellowship is like. Real fellowship is knowing and being known. Knowing, we don't have such a problem with. We want to know. 
We, 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 you know, we want to try to figure things out about other people and about God. But when it comes to turning around and stepping in the light and saying, this is me, well, then we got a whole other story instead. You, you, you and I see this, and again, just take this for what it's worth. Don't take it as a, uh, an end-all statement, okay? This is not an across-the-board statement. To an extent, it's not. But one of the biggest things, this is why social media is so big. Because a person can show you a version of themselves they want you to know. And it's easy then. You know why? Because there's barriers, there's trees in the garden, there's a fig leaf, and there's an internet server. Now, when I see it, sometimes I shake my head. But then I also have the thought in the back of my mind, this is a person... And not everybody abuses it. Just understand that. It's not an abusive situation for everyone. But it's, it's kind of like a, we know it when we see it kind of a thing, you know. And uh, people are putting themselves out there in a way that's not healthy for them. That's, this is not the point of my sermon, but it illustrates what the need for fellowship really is, isn't it? To where we would throw ourselves out just in a way that is completely inappropriate to the world, but then hide ourselves from the people that are the closest to us. You see, that, that's not what God intended. God intended us to be able to be known. Uh, there's one ministry that I like to read behind called True Faced, and this is the entire backstory to what their ministry is. Knowing God and being known by God and others. Being in a safe place so you can be you. And God calls us into this fellowship. We are good at hiding. We're really good at it. I'm good at it. You're good at it. We're very good at it. We're good at hiding. And, and I'm not saying to be, I'm not saying that we throw, we like hang up a, you know, an emotional and spiritual clothesline in front of everybody and like run our dirty clothes out there. Because fellowship is based on trust and knowledge, not just on a randomness that you just, have you ever met an oversharer? It's like they walk up to you with an emotional bazooka and they just hone in on you like, just shoot you with a scud missile right in the chest and just blow you back with all these feelings that you, and all you have to know is the Southerners, we've made an answer for it. And what do we say? Bless your heart. Yeah, I mean, that's what we do. If somebody's telling you bless your heart, you just backed up a dump truck, beep, beep, and you unload it on them in such a way they have no clue what to do for you anymore, all right? They're just like, bless your, go, go my way, your, what, your way, son, in peace, I'm sorry. Don't say call me if you need anything if you don't mean it now, all right? Because there will be something. Jesus begins to refer to this when he starts talking to his disciples. And you know one of the main things that threw the disciples off more than anything else is when he began to explain to them what it was like to relate to the Father. Go back and read through the Gospels. He would, he would say, he would give them ideas of what it was like to relate to the Father, and they'd be like, what, 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 what? You know, they're like Max Headroom. They just didn't know how to take it. In John chapter 6, you know, Jesus gives the, remember that he gives the story there where he feeds the, he feeds the 5,000, then he gets in a ship and he goes across to the water, and then they're like, where did he go? We need food. So they go and they follow him around, and they were going to take him and make him a king because they gave him bread. And Jesus said, you didn't, you came to me for the food, not for what I had to say. And so in the light of that context, he's speaking to a group of not only those people, but of the Pharisees, and he makes this comment because they were upset that they were so, he was so popular. And in John chapter 6, Jesus makes this comment. He says, no man can come to me 
except for the Father which sent him. Excuse me, I read that wrong. No man can come to me except the Father who has drawn him. I am reading it wrong again. All right, now one more chance, and we're not talking about this Bible verse anymore, all right? I think I have it printed in King James. That's what's throwing me off. There's like a D and a thou in there. My brain's like, do not compute. But uh, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, this verse, people get scared of this verse. And they take this verse, and they easily either use it as a shield or they use it as a bat. And I think both of them are misconstrued because this is not talking about individual selection and individual rejection of a person. What it's talking about is a divine invitation to salvation. That's what it's talking about. It's not talking about God looks down from heaven and says, I'll take Carol, but not James, and uh, James, but not Melissa, and uh, sorry, but you're out. And uh, that's not what this is talking about, all right? It is talking about the initiation of God into fellowship, how he is the one that approaches. You know, we, we talk about that verse, Romans chapter 3, there's none that understands. There's none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Listen, there's not a ladder at all. There's not even a rung on the ladder. There's nothing. There's nothing there. God has to step in and initiate what's going on. We get hung up on, well, did he initiate it with them? Did he initiate it with them? It doesn't matter. What matters is, is he initiated with you at this point. And what are we doing with that fellowship? He makes a comment over there in verse number 9, and I'm going to have to finish this up. There are a lot of kids back there in children's church, all right? A lot of kids. First, and that's good. We like having lots of kids. Bring them on. First Corinthians, I love giving the kids candy afterwards. I'm sorry, I do. I love it. If you don't want your kids to have candy, just let me know, and I don't care. I'll give it to them anyway. So <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 9 or for chapter 1, verse number 9, again, let's read it. He says, God is faithful by, you, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his dear son. Now, there, that phrase, some Bible versions, and I looked this up, translated, it says unto the fellowship is what some of the Bible translations say. It. I feel like after looking into it, into is much better because it, it gives the idea of a location, you know, not just simply like you're going in the vicinity of. We're called into it. And the reason why that's very important, and I want to read this verse here real quick for it leaves my mind. I think I have it over here somewhere. I just uh, There we go. Uh, John chapter 15, verse number 9. Jesus says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. You see, that's what you've been called into. We haven't been called unto it to, like, observe it. We've been called into that. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, you know, the love guy, and, you know, this is the Revised Buddy Standard Version. Spent years translating this one. But when Jesus looked at the disciples and said, I'm loving you the same way the Father loves me. And that's what it means to be in the fellowship. I have a friend of mine, I haven't talked to him in a long time, I should call him. His name's Ken Grief. He lives in uh, Kansas, so he probably needs your prayers too. And uh, he was at, uh, I was at a meeting that he was doing in, I think, Park City. And anyways, he drew, he, he was talking about a verse similar to this. 
And he said, this is how I view myself when it means to be in the fellowship. And he drew a triangle that we typically draw to kind of illustrate the triune nature of God and Father, Son, Spirit. And he said, and he wrote his name right in the middle of that. He said, that's how I see myself when it means I'm in the fellowship. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are loving one another, and I am right there in the center of that. That takes a long time to begin to process and to actually operate from, Right? At least it does for me. And here's the, and this is another thing that I like about this. If we're not careful, we will think that God is loving us to get us to be a certain way. If we're not careful. And this is what really makes fellowship with God intimate. Because on, there, there's two ways of looking at this. One way is, is God's loving us to get us to be something. The other way is, is God loves me no matter what I do. And we, have, we just do this trying to reconcile those two things when we have to understand that God loves us despite what we do and that love is going to change what we do. You see what I mean? You know, the people say, well, it's greasy grace. I hate that phrase too, it's greasy grace. Well, no, it's cheap law. That's what you got. You don't have cheap, you don't have greasy grace. You got this cheap Moses that you're peddling off on everybody that says, oh, you can do it. No, you can't. Good luck if you think you can. You know, they, they, they made all kinds of promises to God in Deuteronomy. Go back and read that sucker. They're like, they're like well, everything you say will do. They hadn't even heard what it was yet. You've been there before? You hear ser- some sermon that gets you work up and you you're, play the altar athlete. You run up to the altar as quick as you can. You make 27,000 promises to God. You don't even know what you're promising. You just know in that moment something's got to change about you. And if I make that promise, it will change, and it usually does not. That's why we put on our spiritual running shoes and run back the next time. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with an altar. I think you get what I'm Hopefully you'll get what I'm saying. Hopefully you get what I'm saying. If not, and you don't understand it, my wife will explain it to you in detail later because she understands me so well. See, oh, no, what, I, di- I didn't show the cue card. Now you're going rogue, all right? You need to bring it back in, all right? <laughs> Was that, um, okay, I'll let you have that one. All right, it's free. She doesn't know me, trust me. She, she, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a wreck. Anyways, Christianity's goal isn't simply to get you to be better. The goal is to, get you, is to bring you to a place where you understand you are known and you know Christ. That's why the verse, the verse ends in, he's brought us into the fellowship of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the intention of the fellowship. The intention of the fellowship is to not get you to calm down in traffic. All right? The intention of the fellowship is for you to know the sun. The traffic part will work itself out as that grows. The intention of the fellowship is not for you to make the necessary changes before you get close. The intention of the fellowship is that you are close and as you begin to realize that, things will begin to change. They will begin to change on, based on your personality, who you are, and how God relates to you. So don't look across the aisle and think to yourself, well, that person is moving into a knowledge that I'm not. It doesn't matter. You, God meets you where you're at, and guess what? You get to meet him where he's at too. Um, I want to read one more verse, and uh, we'll close it down. It's over in 1 John. I think I may have marked that one with one of the 900 bookmarks I have in here. 1 John chapter number 1. 
Let's see here, just a few verses. Um, Verse 1, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen it and bear witness, and declare to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, that was manifest to us. That we have seen and heard, that we declare unto you, that you may, now notice what he says, that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We write these things to you that your joy might be full. The word joy means, it means a calm delight. It just means like that you're satisfied and you're easy. Easy like Sunday morning even. I don't know, that may be an inappropriate, I don't know if that's an appropriate thing to say. I said it and I immediately regretted it. But, but it is a calm delight, you see. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't often live in a calm delight. I mean, there are things that race at me on a regular basis that they're, that's like their number one assault is my calmness. You know what I mean? It can be anything from work or it can be that I go out to my shed to get something and it's not in the place I left it and suddenly I just, you know, it's like I go turn straight to Eeyore, you know, sort of move around these thistles kind of a thing. What is John trying to say? He's saying, listen, if you're in Christ, you have fellowship with us. So calm down about where you're at with God. Calm down about it. That's what Jesus was talking about in John 15 when he said, Abide in me and I in you. He's saying calm down about it. You're not trying to get more of it. This is not a bank. We're not banking up fellowship with God based on how we behave. We're not doing that. We're not getting closer with God because you didn't cuss this week. All right? We're not getting closer with God because, you know, you kicked a filthy habit or you worked out or you read, you know, 13 chapters of your Bible, you know, or anything. We're not getting closer to God on those bases. We're not getting closer to God on those activities. We're as close to God as we're ever going to get. We're connected with him in Christ. Growing in Christianity is the revelation of just how close you really are. It is a completely different way of looking at it. And it's... I'm concerned from Scripture, a biblical way. Let's, I had an illustration. Let's just pray. We better pray and shut it down, all right? Let me just say this, too. If you're here and you don't know Christ, we want to help you with that. Um, we don't necessarily do altar calls, but I'm available. Uh, Andrew and Melissa are available. There's a, if you know someone else here, please approach them. Let's get this thing set, settled. If you've got a question mark about where you're at with your, for, the forgiveness of your sins, you need a period there. Actually, you need an exclamation point. And uh, we can help you with that. So if you need to talk with someone, please don't leave this building without reaching out to us, and we'll do everything we can to guide you. Let's pray. Father, thanks uh, for loving us. Thank you for the fellowship that we have uh, with you. Uh, Thank you for the fellowship we have with each other. And uh, we look forward to how that's going to increase as you reveal more and more about yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen.